2: All right, aloha winners. Welcome to the Moran Analytics Podcast, episode number 74. Today is Friday, November 30th, 2018. It's the final day before we hit December. Holy crap, it's going by so fast. Anyway, I am your host, Patrick Moran. I got a packed podcast for you guys today. My guest will be 13 Wham ABC. Rochester sports reporter, the beautiful, the lovely, the talented Jenna Cottrell, and we're talking about a wide variety of both heavy and light topics. I'll tell you what, and I'm not just saying this, I really mean it. I've been blessed, very blessed to have some great sports media folk on here over these first 74 episodes. And Jenna's right up there. She's right up there with my favorite ones to date. I just absolutely loved it. Talking to her, I really did. Of course, as many sports fans in the Northeast region already know, Jenna was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago Hodgkin lymphoma. We talk about her diagnosis, how she found out, how she handled it, the support system that she's had, and how she's been able to this point to kick the shit out of cancer. Such a great story. Very in depth. She gives a lot of details. Very interesting story. Also, Jenna went viral last year when while working on the sideline shooting video for a Buffalo Bills game, she got caught up in a collision with Tampa Bay Buccaneer receiver Mike Evans and Buffalo Bills cornerback Trey White. Long story short, Evans went barreling it into her legs and she went flying. And I mean flying, literally with camera in her hand. We recount that story. And of course, since she was all right, we get a nice laugh out of that, Jenna also talks about her youth in Saratoga Springs, what made her a New York Giants fan at a very young age, the incredible story, at least it's incredible to me anyway, on uh, what ultimately made her decide to go to Syracuse University instead of UConn for college. I get her takes on sports and social media issues, some Buffalo Bills talking more. Seriously, guys, I love this. I love Jenna. It's one of the best interviews on this podcast yet to date. I promise you that. Immediately after that, like many Friday shows, I'll be joined by my buddy Joe. Joe from New York City for his Running With Joe segment. Today we're hitting on some fan disgust over any comparison between Josh Allen and Tyrod Taylor. The Buffalo Sabres somehow continuing to maintain their winning ways. One of the best teams in the NHL. We hit on the deplorable Washington Redskins. And ugh, I get mad just even thinking about them, claiming Reuben Foster off waivers just a day after San Francisco waived him, one day after he got arrested for hitting someone in Tampa. Just makes me sick to my stomach. We talk about wrestling very briefly, and Joe recommends his show on Netflix. You guys better watch it, or I think that dude may literally kill you. All that coming up, like I said, we got a packed show. I don't want to waste any time, so let's just get right to it. Here's my interview with Jenica Cottrell, followed by The Running with Joe. All right, my guest today is a sports reporter for 13 Wham in Rochester. She's a Saratoga Springs native and a Syracuse University graduate. She's withstood NFL all-pro receivers <laughs> barreling into her. She's battled cancer. She's still kicking ass. I'm talking about Jenna <laughs> Cottrell. How you doing, Jenna? Thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh,
1: absolutely. Thank you for having me.
2: No, I've been waiting to have you on for quite a while now. I'm just, I'm blown away by your talents, but I'm also blown oh. away by your perseverance and your resolve. And we're going to hit on that in a few. But before that, Jenna, I kind of want to circle back to the beginning like I do each time I get a sports media guest on. Now, like I said at the top, you're born and raised in Saratoga Springs and you mm-hmm. grew up a New York Giants fan. What initially (laughs) drew you to the Giants? I got to hear that story.
1: All right. So, yes, before I get butchered for being a Giants fan. So, I grew up in Saratoga, like you said, and that was – so, SUNY Albany was the home of the Giants training camp. So, every year, my family, we would go to the SUNY campus, and we would be there. We'd watch training camp, you know, all the excitement that comes with that. Um, So, we would always go. So, you know, I I was a huge Giants fan from when I was younger. And actually, my – parents are Patriots fans. So, you know, when they had the oh, Super Bowls, wow. Oh, I loved every second. Twice. Of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, believe me. Actually, my dad told me in the second one, he said that I was not allowed to watch the game at the house. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I was not, I was banned from the premise. So uh, I made sure to rub it in his face, you know, later on. But, but yeah, it was uh, something I was just drawn to. I went to when I was younger and kind of just grew from there. Did you like sports at a young age? Did you play any sports when you were a kid? So I played uh, a lot of sports. So I played three sports mainly. I did soccer. I'm a huge soccer fan. Like I wanted to be Mia Hamm. Kind of disappointed that I'm not. Um, <laughs> I also I ski raced. That's kind of weird, but I uh, grew up like going to ski mountains. Did like you know, you know the ski racing that you see on the Olympics. I was ne- I was not good though. I like never went that fast and then I also did lacrosse um so but I always had been involved in sports and like I grew up playing so many different sports and you know my dad was a huge sports fan too so it kind of made sense for me to kind of naturally progress into watching sports after I started playing them
2: how many siblings did you have are you an only child did you have siblings
1: Oh, I am. I am one of three. I'm the youngest. Uh, my brother and sister are twins. They are. My brother is not a sports fan at all. My sister is my sister and I are very, very much into sports. Um, and, and I I don't know how that happened. I mean, I, I do know how it happened. My brother just kind of always had other interests. He loves cars and stuff like that. Um, but I am I'm one of three. And, uh, you know, I had a, an interesting upbringing, too, just because uh, my brother is actually a cancer survivor. Oh, wow. And so, um, so he, a he is, um, he had leukemia and he was diagnosed when he was 15, I was 12. And, um, that's really when I began to really dive into sports was because I had always played soccer, but you know, things were really stressful, honestly at home. And so it was an escape. And I know that sports are definitely that for a lot of people. And it went from me, you know, being at a game, playing in a game and, you know, being able to take a break from what was going on at home and really enjoy and get into something else. And it it translated from me playing a sport to me, you know, watching football, watching hockey, watching baseball. So it was kind of that, that thing that I'd always grown up loving. And I, I honestly really needed that outlet when I was growing up. So the fact that I've been able to kind of make this my career has been, it's been awesome. I mean, sports, there's so much to love about sports. Sure.
2: Now, you talk about playing sports as a kid, in part, you know, as an escape and and stuff like that. When's the first time that you can remember being interested in the sports broadcasting and sports journalism (laughs) aspect of sports? That's different than playing.
1: Oh, it's way different. Well, it's funny because, um, you know, I feel like a lot of people in my industry, in the industry, they always grew up wanting to be a sportscaster you know they they used to do play-by-play calls and they they'd meet the tv or you know they always wanted to be that I was not like that at all I um I went to Syracuse University I was actually a psychology major when I first went and it's because I was so interested in like hearing people's stories and how they shaped them just because I felt like I you know my upbringing was so shaped by my brother being sick that I was like you know there's so many people that we see but like what are their stories what makes them who they are So I I sat down in like my first 500 person lecture and, you know, it was a psych major and they were talking about psychology and just like, oh, you know, like Freud and theorems and all this stuff. And I was like, I absolutely hate this. (laughs) I was like, I was like, I want to actually talk to people like I don't I don't want to know the theory behind or, you know what I mean? I don't want to do research in a lab. Like I want to meet people and hear about them and what makes them unique and all that. So. It was funny, actually. It was around this time when I was a freshman in college that I was home on uh, holiday break, and I was standing, around, I was sitting around my living room with my friends. Weird Sports Center was actually on, you know. We were catching up, and I'm like, I have no idea what I want to do. Like, what am I going to do? I'm going to Syracuse. It's expensive, and we were all talking about it. And then one of my friends starts like dying laughing. He's like, "What?" He goes, he pointed at the TV. He's like, "You should do this." And it was like that. Oh my god. I would love to like, I would love to report on sports. I would love to talk to athletes. I would love to be able to tell their stories. Like it just all kind of clicked together. And, you know, it was like that aha moment of like, yeah, what the hell am I doing? I need to be doing this.
2: Well, I'll tell you, it's it's weird because you go to Syracuse University and that's, you know, a college that's famous for sports journalism. I mean, I know so many people in the world of sports media from Syracuse. So I would have bet my life when I asked you, because my next question was going to be, well, why did you go to Syracuse? I would have bet my life that it was going to be, you know, so you could be a sportscaster. But
1: that wasn't the case. Not initially when you first went there. It's really interesting. Nope. The, the reason I went to Syracuse, I kid you not, I was deciding between Syracuse and UConn. My brother went to UConn. And I remember I had, I was like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? You know, I loved both schools. I was a psych major, so it didn't really matter. And I remember that the night of the Syracuse-UConn six overtime game, yeah. I said my, to myself, whoever wins this game, that's where I'm going to go.
2: Oh, really?
1: And I fell asleep on the couch watching the game. I woke up in the morning. I asked my dad who won the game. He said Syracuse. Wow. Said, okay. And that's honestly, like, it is the most dumb luck situation. That's, that's amazing. I don't know. I it's, it's it's weird. It is It is bizarre. But that was like, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm clearly really good at decision making. Like, <laughs> I did not plan for all this to happen. I just was like, yeah, that's, that's like that's what I'll do. You know, me being me. But yeah, I kind of you know, it honestly has worked out pretty well. So I, I guess that was a good way of making a decision, but definitely not the conventional way. I'll
2: tell you what. I've had a lot of sports media people on. That may be my single favorite <laughs> why I went to this college story I've ever heard. That's awesome. I mean, I don't know basketball if it's a game. good thing,
1: but it's definitely. You know, you're like 17, and you're making this massive decision. And right. I was like, you know what? Let's have this. And it was just funny that it was six overtimes because I literally I fell asleep. I'm going to be. I remember honest. the game. Like, oh yeah, I watched. <laughs> I watched most of it, and then I was like, you know, I'm so young. It probably <laughs> had, came from lacrosse practice. I know, actually, I did that. And then in the morning, I was like, oh, who won? My dad. Oh, Cuse. Oh, okay. That, that's cool.
2: a, that's incredible, man. So you're at school and and things start to change and you do get into it, you know, as a desired profession, you had a few internships. How much Mm -hmm. does getting that type of experience help you? How did that go on and help you later on?
1: Oh, I think internships are huge, just because you get to really see if this is what if it's what you want to do. You know, there's obviously like people think it's a very glamorous job. and There's definitely a very visible perks, absolutely, but you know, there's a lot of work behind the scenes. And I think I interned at a couple of stations in Albany, and we interned at a radio station. Um, I kind of wanted to feel out what I wanted to do and if I thought it would be a good experience for me. So, you know, we I got to cover actually when I was in Albany Giants training camp while it was still there. Wow. You know, I got to cover a lot of other stuff, so it it was cool. and I realized like I just I enjoyed doing what I was doing. And I was like, you know what? I know I kind of fell into this position of going to this school, but I really, I think i'm I'm on the right track, which I think is so reassuring, especially, you know you're so young. you don't really know, you know, oh, is this the right idea? Is this what I should be doing? But I felt like, yes, i'm I'm where I'm supposed to be.
2: When you decided that this was what you wanted to do, how long did it take you to start feeling comfortable being on the air, whether it was radio, TV, whatever it may be, hearing your voice, oh. seeing your face, how long did it take it for you to get comfortable oh, with that?
1: I, I'm going to be honest with you. Like I wanted to do this job, but I wanted to be a producer because I didn't have the confidence when I was younger to be... You know, a woman in sports, I always felt like there was kind of like a, oh, can she talk? You know what I mean? Like, and my confidence, I, I wasn't the person I w- I am today. So I was definitely way insecure. So I remember I actually produced a whole show at Syracuse. And I remember, you know, the anchors read my show. And after I got done. My professor went up to my anchors and they said, "Great show, great content, all that." And I was pissed because I was like, "I wrote all that. Like, I'm not going to do all the work and you take the credit. Like, that is not how I operate." Which I, I maybe is not a good thing, but I was just like, "No. Like, if I do it, I want it to be mine." And I kind of realized that, like, okay, if that means if that's the case, then I need to be in front of the camera. And then, you know, you just kind of it's it's all about practice. It's all about, you know, getting out there, doing the job, doing it, seeing yourself and you get used to that. And I've always been very keen on like watching my stuff back because I want to make sure that I'm good. I want to make sure that I'm getting better and evolving and continuing to grow. So now I'm obviously more used to it. But in the beginning, oh, my God, I don't even want to look at my old like my (laughs) first job stuff. Like I that is that is that should be in the vault forever (laughs) and never come out because it can't be good.
2: You started working at WHAM, it was in February of 2016. Tell me how that opportunity came about for you.
1: Um, So it was, it worked out really well, um, in all honesty. So I was at WENY in Elmira, New York, and I loved my time there. And, you know, it was a CBS um ABC station. I can't even remember. Good, um, CBS, ABC, and I had a really great time there. But I always knew that I wanted to, you know, move up markets. And we actually, um, I worked with a guy named Dan F- Dan Fates. He works at WROC in Rochester mm-hmm. now, and um, he came down to Elmira to get his on-air start. So we became really good friends, and he still he's from Rochester, and he still has a lot of friends here, and he works here now. So um, I remember we went up to Bill's training camp actually to cover it. And so we went up and Dan had, you know, all his friends from the Rochester media outlets. And I met everyone and I remember meeting Mike and talking to him and just, you know, picking his brain because I knew the type of person that he was, Mike Catalana. Um, You know, he's been a sports director in the Rochester market for over three decades. Yeah. So I kind of started talking to him and sending him my stuff and saying, you know, what can I do? What should I do? You know, how can I, you know, better? be an on-air person, a reporter, all of those things. And we kind of built up a rapport and it just so happened that an opening came up. Um, and it was like, you know, I, I'd applied to other jobs, I'd interviewed for other jobs, but I just felt like here was where I was supposed to be almost. Like I, I was close to family. I already had a, a rapport with the people I'd be working with. It just felt like a really natural progression.
2: Sure. Jenna, so in the fall of 2016, okay, you're just 25 years old. And you start experiencing headaches, high fevers, a lot of fatigue. But you continued living life as normal, you know, at work, just in life. But within a few oh. months, your condition got worse. You learned that you had stage four Hodgkin lymphoma. What, what was your mm-hmm. initial reaction? How? I mean, that kind of sounds like a stupid question. I'm pretty sure what your initial reaction was. One of the No, I fun. mean,
1: that's it was it was I kind of describe it as, you know, when you're watching that war movie. And the bomb goes off and like you can see like you you can hear that people are trying to talk to you. But there's also that like deafening silence of like, oh, my God, what? And I honestly felt awful for my parents because they had already been through a child with cancer. I mean, I I just felt so bad that I was like, God, how does this happen again to them? You know what I mean? Like, they're such good people. And I was I was honestly I mean, I was. I was diagnosed in January and that previous October I ran a half marathon. Like I felt good. And then I, st- I stopped feeling good, but I was like, I'm so young. Like there's gotta be an excl- explanation. Like it was in bill season. You no, know, it's, it's a grind. Like, you know, you're traveling, you're running around, you're not sleeping much. If you know, it's, it's definitely a lot. The gear is heavy. So everything was so explainable. And then when I got sick, it was like, wow. Like I, n- I never expected it.
2: Was it a slow process for you, how you felt? Or did it seemingly feel like a ton of bricks hit you all at once?
1: It was, it was like probably, um, early November that I started feeling those headaches. I started having back pain. I started being so tired. I described it as tired in my bones. Like I was just so exhausted and um but everything was so explainable you know what i mean like i was like i'm tired who's not tired okay my back hurts i carry a a lot of gear whose back doesn't hurt i have headaches okay well you know i'm i'm tired (laughs) like it was all just like and i would get really cold at night at work because i work i usually work nights at work but again like i work with all men they'd be like it's not cold you're crazy which i understand why they said that because You know, that's, it's not normal for someone, you know, to be going through something like that. Sure. So it it was almost like, you know, I had gone to the doctor in early January and I said, you know, I just feel like something's not right. And they, you know, they took me very seriously. They said, let's do some blood work. Let's do some like x-rays, all this stuff. And I got the blood work back and I said, you're healthy. They're like, you're fine. The doctor literally told me, he's like, I've never seen lungs clearer than yours. Wow. I said, okay, maybe it's just all in my head. And actually my Catalana he's my boss but we're very close. He was like you need you're not okay. He's like you need to go back and advocate for yourself and say like no I I I need to be seen again. So I cuz I was getting really bad fevers. The fevers were the thing that I couldn't ignore. Like I took my temperature finally and I'm like wow it's 103. Like and it kept getting worse. Um, so I went to the doctor the first day that I went to the doctor like before I got admitted to the hospital um, she took my temperature. The woman, the nurse took my temperature, looked at it, kind of studied it. was like, okay. And then she took my temperature again. She looked at it and then she got another thermometer and took my temperature. And she's like, you need to be admitted immediately. And I was terrified because I was like, oh my God, what? Like they were telling me all these different things that I could have had. And it was, none of them were good. It was like, You could have an infection in your heart. You know, you could be having meningitis, like all of these things. Right. So I was admitted to the hospital. And then they were like, well, you could have the flu. And I remember, oh, my God. I remember being like, oh, my God, the flu. Like, I don't want the flu. It's so inconvenient. Wow. (laughs) Like, what a a jerk I am. (laughs) Um, So I was in the hospital for I had like multiple doctors visiting me a day because they could not figure out what was wrong with me. I actually had one of my nurses. I, I don't know if you've ever seen that show House. Oh, yeah. So they're like, yeah, you're yeah. like a regular episode of House. Like, we don't know what's wrong with you. It's like, yeah, oh they got to keep coming back, going back to the board. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was like, that's not what I want to hear, but okay. And then finally, one day, they were pressing on my stomach, and they were like, does that does that hurt? I said, you know, at that point, I was just like, sure. Yes, it hurts. I'm like, okay, we're going to get you a CAT scan of your stomach. Oh. They did the CAT scan, and then not even 10 minutes later, a nurse or a doctor, excuse me, ran into my room. and without even introducing themselves said, do you, do you know what lymphoma is? And I, I was with my mom, my mom had come up and we kind of just stared.
2: It's like,
1: yeah, I, I, I I do. Why? And they said, you know, you have lymph nodes all over your body and they're supposed to be about, you know, an inch, two inches. And, you know, that's about what they're supposed to be in diameter. Yours are the size of plums. I was just like, Oh my God. And then from there, they did a CAT scan on my chest as well as my neck. And it was just, I mean, it was it was everywhere. It was stage four. Um, they actually initially diagnosed me as stage three and then it progressed to stage four. And then I will say, though, like they were always like, you know what? We just got to get through this treatment. You're going to be OK. Like I was in amazing hands at Wilmot Cancer um, in Rochester. And it was just like a it was a really don't get me wrong. It was awful. Like the whole experience was. Really, I mean, it was so mentally hard, physically hard. I felt like crap every day. Like, you know, I went through 12 chemo treatments. I had surgery. I had to do all these scans. You have to drink this nasty stuff. You're on pills. You're all all of that. But I know how much worse so many other people have it. And that's why it's like, you know what? I really don't have a lot to complain about. And I honestly feel that way because there's so many people. Cancer is so has had such a negative impact and lasting impact on so many people's lives that I know that I have so much to be thankful for.
2: How was the support system that you've had, as you know, as you had to take this on, how's the support system been for you?
1: Oh my God. I'm, I mean, I'm way better than I was. I mean, I was a wreck.
2: Right. If I'm being completely honest. Under- I was understandable.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think everyone can kind of understand where I was coming from, but my support system, like everyone, my friends, my family, like my coworkers, amazing. Just like, you know, it, it it was so emotional for me going through it, and then it was so emotional seeing how supportive everyone was. And like when I was having a bad day, like and even if I wasn't having a bad day, people were just there. Like, oh, I picked up your favorite food, or I brought you a nice blanket, or here's this this candle I bought you. I think it's, like some smells like something you would like. Oh, I got you this new shirt. Like, oh, like you know, I got you a massage. Like everything that I could have asked and so much more people were just willing and able and always there to comfort me. And it was just, I almost felt guilty for it because I'm like, why? Like these people are being so like, so many people are going out of their way to be nice to me. Like how can I ever repay them? And I still kind of struggle with that now. Cause I'm like, how do I, you know what I mean? Like I, I want to be able, and I try and be there for everyone that has been there for me. But you know, I just, sometimes it's like, it's, it's stunning to me that so many people have, have been so supportive and I, I feel so grateful for that.
2: What have been maybe one or two of your most significant life changes since first finding out that you had cancer?
1: Um, I, I think that I've, I, so it's so funny because, you know, I feel like I learned so much when my brother got sick. Like I feel like when my brother got sick, I was so young and I was so just like I was floored by it. I was devastated by it. My brother and I are best friends. Like and I feel like from then on I really like learned to appreciate so much because I know how fragile that is. And I'm not gonna lie to you, when I first got sick, like I was bitter about it. And I think now I finally got to the point where I'm like, I can be that Appreciative and that, you know what I mean? Like, I, it'll all work itself out. I realized along this route that, like, you're running your own race. And, like, you know what? Maybe I'm farther behind than other people are in, like, you know, career or relationships or other things like that. But it's like, I learned that you have to be patient. And I think that's a really hard lesson to learn, especially for someone in their 20s. But I think that's my biggest patient takeaway is just like, you know what? It'll, don't worry. It'll all work itself out. Like, it, And it will, because it always does.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, my biggest takeaway from this is that you're tough as shit, man. <laughs> I'll tell you that. You're tough as shit oh, mentally, no, oh, physically. I I'm like, sure no, you like... have, but you're tough as nails. And if that's not enough, a lot of people already know, but some don't. Last October, you're in Orchard Park during the Bills-Tampa Bay Bucks game. You're on the sideline. You're shooting video. During that game, uh, Tampa Bay receiver Mike Evans He's there that corner of that end zone. He gets tangled up with Trey White. And they went barreling into you. And I oh my mean, God. hard, hard. You went flying. By the way, <laughs> by the way, it's like the camera never as hard as you fell. And the oh angle God. that you fell, it's like that camera never completely left your, at least your fingers anyway. Do you know what I mean?
1: How, how, <laughs> well, it's so funny. How people scary are like, was Oh my that? God that's so graceful. And like, if you know me, you would literally never describe this <laughs> graceful. Like I am not a graceful human being, but I don't know. It happened so fast. Like if this, if that happened ahead, God forbid, like I would not be as well prepared as I was because I, I, I mean, people are funny. They're like, Oh my God, I can't believe you took the hit. I'm like, I had no choice. Like I was there I was yeah, right? in the way it was, it was a wild experience. It was funny actually, because You know, I tweeted afterwards saying, you know, Mike Evans and cancer can only knock me down temporarily, but, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend either. And my boss was like, this is going to be, you know, kind of a big deal. And I was laughing. I was like, okay easy like relax and then you know my mom my my mom she was so funny she was like sending me all the espn stuff and like all the clips online she was like oh my god honey you're famous i'm like (laughs) not the way i thought i'd make my espn debut like
2: (laughs) how how much did it hurt right away initially did it hurt or was it just so shocking and it happened so fast that you really didn't have a chance to even feel any pain or did it hurt right
1: away I was so embarrassed. Like, I was just like, oh my God. Ah. Like, I was like, please don't put the camera near me. Like, I was, I was just more shocked that it happened. And then I, I was laying there and then like everyone came over to me, which was super nice. But I was just, I was being myself, which is awkward. And I was like, oh my God. Uh, ah, no, I'm good. I'm good. Like, I felt fine. I really did. Like, I shot the rest of the game because I was just like, I'm really fine. Yeah, you know, I've, fallen, I've fallen down in sports before. Like, I, I mean, that's just like a part of sports. So I guess maybe that's where it comes from that. I was like, yeah, I'm really, I'm good, but well, I was, I was fine.
2: You're a trooper. I would have called that a day right there. If that was me. <laughs> now, even
1: though it was I was ad- thinking about it later. I should have <laughs> done that because then I would have had like, you know, snacks and like been able to watch the game in the press box probably, <laughs> but oh, well.
2: Mike Evans, I mean, obviously it was an accident, but even though it was Mike Evans, he did apologize to you. Didn't he, did he tweet at you or something like that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That was super nice and very unexpected. I was not, I was not like Mike, my boss was like, Hey, I think Mike Evans just tweeted at you. And I was laughing. I'm like, all right. Okay. <laughs> and he's like, no, really? I was like, Oh my gosh. Like it was super nice, but I was not expecting that at all.
2: I want to turn my attention to a couple media things. Here. I got a couple media questions for you. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's some plenty there. You got plenty of cool things that you like about your job. Mike Evans running you over with notwithstanding. But what would you consider like the coolest part of your job? What's your favorite part of your job?
1: The favorite part of my job is just meeting so many people that have had sports positively impact their lives and just people being able to use sports to whether it's, you know, like whatever it is, something in their life that they've been able to do and an accomplishment and just seeing how sports has given them that. And, you know, the reason I also love sports is usually it's someone's best day. Like a lot of times, I mean, barring, you know, a lot of professional sports, but it's like someone's best day is why I'm there doing a story on them. And I just, I, I, that's so inspiring every day to meet people that, that, you know, are so bought in, so love what they do. And just knowing that they're doing an experience that means so much to them. Like that is my favorite part by far.
2: That's a good answer there. Now, the sports media scene, it can be fun, but it can also be extremely cutthroat, especially if you're covering professional sports. I mean, you have peers and they become friends in the business, but at the same time, it's competition too. You know what I mean? You're competing for stories and scoops, interviews, the the best video, the best photograph, etc. You know, so in that aspect, it's a tricky line to balance sometimes, or at least I would think it would. Friendship and competition. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we're all like I played sport. I'm a very competitive person, but I, I find that and I'm always impressed, especially like in the Bills media room, how everyone everyone is going about doing their job in their own way. But they're they're all supporting each other along the way. which That's love. If someone gets a better story than I do. I'm not mad at them. I'm mad at myself. I'm, I'm not like, oh, I can't believe they got that. I'm like, why didn't I get that? You know, that it makes you work harder. It makes you hungrier. It's like, okay, I need to be, I need to be better. It's, it's not worth being jealous or, you know what I mean? Like I never take it out on my peers and, and they don't take it out on me either. It's just like a, okay, you know, all right. The bar has been set. I I need to raise it again. Right. Now
2: I'm confident, generally speaking, anyway, you get treated fair, but I'm sure you may have had a a, a difficulty or two along the way working in a sports industry You know that traditionally has been mostly dominated by males. Does it ever feel like to you that women unfairly have more to prove than men do in the journalism industry, especially when it comes to the more high-profile jobs? That's the way it seems, or the way it's always been anyway, is that it seems like if you're a female, you have to prove yourself more than maybe the guy next to you does.
1: I think that's definitely uh a part of it you know I think that especially in a small market I was the first female hire in Elmira in years mm-hmm. and I think people just weren't familiar used to seeing that so I think they had understandably just questions about it you know they wanted to kind of see the authenticity of that of, of me actually knowing sports but that's a situation where I love that give me that all day think that I don't know anything you're gonna you're gonna be wrong and I I love being able to prove people wrong. I don't know why. Maybe it's the competitiveness in me, but if you're going to be like, "Oh, well, I have a certain standard set for women." Uh, okay. I I want to break that. I, I I want to not only be like, "Oh, okay, she knows her stuff." I want to impress you. And you know, maybe men get a little bit more like, "Oh, he knows what he's talking about because he's a guy." But there are plenty of women in my industry in other industries that know exactly what they're doing. And I think slowly it takes time for those stereotypes to kind of go away. Sure. But I definitely think that, you know what? I'm up for the job. I'll 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 try and help and, and show people that, yeah, I, I love what I do and I know what I'm doing. And that's why it's like, you know, I can't change some people's minds. There's some people that just are going to have that bias, but it's not even worth trying to if they're never going to move on from that. Sure. So I, I just, I just look at it as a challenge because that's, that's what you have to do. And and I think a lot of female reporters embrace that and, and really are willing to go to bat for what they believe in because, you know, they're showing that they have a place at the table.
2: How do you feel about social media? And I'm talking particularly Twitter because Twitter could be a great thing. It could help you build a following. It could help you deliver the stories that you're working on instantly. You don't have to wait for the newspaper or, you know, the, or the six o'clock, 11 o'clock news. But at the same token, it could be a nasty place as well with Especially with trolls, you know they they got nothing better to do than to try to say nasty shit and get you all riled up. You know what I mean. So what's your Absolutely. take in general on Twitter?
1: I so I love Twitter, but I also understand that trolls love Twitter as well. Like sure. I love Twitter because I can get my information, as news information, sports breaking news. I can see funny videos. You know I can see it all on my Twitter feed. But then you you do have people, and I've noticed the more followers I get, you know there's there's a little bit more hate on stuff that I post or whatever. And it used to bother me so much. I used to be like, what? Like, why are these people saying this stuff to me? Then it's just like, you know what? If they want to take time out of their day to ruin mine, like that says more about them than where I need to be concerned. Exactly. Like, like I'm, I, if they feel some way, that's their prerogative. I'm not going to let that ruin my day, but it's definitely taking a while for me to get there because, you know, there's some people that, make it a point to meet be mean but no you just got to take it in stride because i know that you know that's that's what twitter is like you can have direct contact with someone that you never normally would be in contact with and that that's what comes with it and usually i will say usually it is so nice and all that people are or people ask questions especially like bill stuff but there's times where i'll post something and it, it, you know people will not have nice things to say about it and that's just a part of it. You just gotta. How do you handle that?
2: Because there's different ways to handle that. Some people I've talked to, they'll just ignore it, or they'll block somebody, they'll mute them. Some people just give it back to them, almost to a fault. Like I've had Mike Harrington, Tim Graham, two people, guys like that. You know, yeah. they, if you yeah. go at them, they're coming back at you right away. Oh. Whereas other people, they just they ignore it, or they they find a way to ignore it, or they'll block you. How do you handle the idiots like that?
1: Because there are idiots. I'm say I've never blocked someone. I don't ever normally even say anything back because in my mind, like if you're trying to be rude, like that's, that's what you're trying to do. Like I can't be like, Oh, well, blah, 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 blah. Like you're just on a rant to be mean. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I feel like nothing I say is really going to change that. Like, like, and I don't want to escalate the situation because I don't even want to waste my time. Like if you want to be, an ass, that's up to you. Right. Like, okay, if you want to, if you want to do that, like, I'm not going to try and make nice with you because why would I bother? Like, you're not trying to be nice. So it's like, I have, I just have no time for that. I understand, you know, some people block, some people respond. That's everyone's own prerogative. But I know for myself, it's like, at first it was really hard because I'm like, they just don't understand where I'm coming from. Like, you know, maybe if I said something and then I was just like, "Ah, really? Why? Like, (laughs) yeah, Maybe they don't want to know where I'm coming from. So like, okay, life goes on.
2: (laughs) One more sports media question. And then I want to wrap up with a couple of Bill's things and our mini lightning round. There's Mm -hmm. teenagers, young people out there who may be listening to this show or people out there who are blogging or they're in the video photography, whatever it is they may be at a young age right now. What advice would you have for someone that may want to grow up or change fields and, and get in the sports reporting and sports broadcasting and journalism, what would be your advice for them?
1: I would say just to to dive in, to really watch as many sports things you can, play-by-play, anchoring, reporting, like figure out what you like, what styles that you like, what styles you don't like like really see like what your preferences are and what what you think your style would be and then from there like I would really recommend an internship or doing something like that just to really like get some hands-on experience and figuring out like okay do I like this like day to day do I think that this is something that I would actually be interested in or is it just a hobby that I really enjoy and there's there's no fault in the, if that's just the case but I think getting an internship and really just and if you're not in a position to get an internship it's really just what do I like watching? What do I think I could do that people would like watching? You know, am I going to be kitschy? Am I going to be, how do I tell a story? Just stuff like that to figure out what your style is.
2: Good advice there. All right. couple of bills things here. I want to talk about them for a few, at least. I, I mean, I have a bills reporter on. I probably should ask a couple <laughs> of Buffalo bills questions. You got your finger on the pulse of the team pretty well. Do you feel like there's a vibe on this team that's a little different when Josh Allen's healthy and starting than when it's Peterman or Anderson or Matt Barkley? I mean, he played well in the game against the Jets, but just the vibe with the team. It's a little bit different when Josh Allen's the guy under center.
1: I I definitely think so. And I think that's because he's been touted as, you know, the future franchise, franchise quarterback. And I mean, he's the guy that, you know, after Peterman was benched at the second week of the season, like he was the one that took over. And he is, you know, the future. And he's a guy that the Bills went up and got. And I think he, because of that, you know, a lot of expectations are on him. And I think he's been doing a good job of kind of trying to progress, even though, you know, for the beginning of the season, he was under fire. I think, you know, I think he does. He brings that aura and he he's definitely earned the respect of his teammates. That's something that I've seen, um, just like how well he's adapted and how much the guys on the sidelines, wherever, like so excited for him, happy for him. Like, I think this team is really close. And I think when Josh is, you know, under center, especially last week, I mean, that was he played very well uh, just to see like him and what he brings to the table. I think, you know, it, it's someone that you pay attention to.
2: Were you a little surprised or taken back perhaps at the, at the level of confidence that he has, because I mean, you're going back to the draft. This is a kid who was highly scrutinized and this is before he was even selected by Buffalo. A lot of flaws, a lot of knocks against him. Got in a little bit of hot water because of social media. Like we just had a conversation about Twitter because of his Twitter from years ago, before the draft, he's on a team with an offensive line and weapons that aren't very good, frankly, He's been injured. I mean, he didn't start the season. He wasn't the number one to start the season. But you watch that game against Jacksonville Sunday. Dude looked like a five, six-year veteran out there (laughs) having a time of his life. You know, high-fiving, slapping butts, just rah-rah in your (laughs) face, just flexing
1: on people. You know what I mean? His confidence. I just think that he loves playing the game of football. Yeah. And I think that it's infectious to his teammates. And when he is playing well— He's he is fired up. Absolutely. Like he's, you know, flexing, he's doing like he's doing everything. But I think when you see how well he is playing and you see the way he riles up his offense, it's it is like I think people really feed into that, especially that energy that it brings to the sideline. It just how much excitement it brings. And I think he gets that because he really does love the game. Like that was one of my first impressions of him was he was a guy that, you know, continually wants to get better. But he's someone that truly does enjoy what he's doing. He enjoys the nuts and bolts of situational football. He enjoys really trying to be the best player he can be. Now, you're right. He's still he's only a couple games really into his pro career. You know, will he continue to trend upward? Obviously, that's the hope. But I think he's a guy that's at least dedicated to trying to get better. And someone that is not just like, okay, well, I'm good enough. I think almost he's been so you know, he's had a chip on his shoulder his entire career. He didn't get any offers at a high school. He only went, you know, he went to his small school. He went to Wyoming, like so many things. Like he, he's not supposed to be here in terms of when you look at like the technical usual route of an NFL player. And I think that fuels him because he wants to prove you wrong. And I think that when you have that type of work ethic and that energy, and then you talk about that raw talent, I think he's a guy that's determined to play the game and play it well.
2: You know, we spent so much time this entire season talking about the quarterback situation, the offensive struggles, Tremaine Edmonds, his progress as a rookie middle linebacker. Guys like Kyle Williams and Lorenzo Alexander, they kind of slipped under the cracks a little bit there on the defense, but they have both played very well this year. Are you a little surprised that they're still doing it this late in their respective careers, the way they're playing?
1: I mean, yes, like they, they're definitely playing physical positions. They're definitely up there in age, but I think when you see the way they approach their preparation, dedicated to what they're doing, preparing their bodies, you know, making sure that they're at the utmost shape to be able and be in a position to play. I think when you see all that behind the scenes work, it makes it more apparent of how they're the type of guy. and, And it's not even actually just their preparation. It's their mindset. Like those are two guys that are going to give it everything they have, and you know when you have guys like that who are older, but also the leaders on the team, the voice of the team, captains of the team, I think that really dr- pushes the team in the right direction because you have guys so passionate about playing that it, I mean, there's no way that doesn't help.
2: Sure. Do you have a guy in the team, maybe two guys that are your favorite players to to cover? Like someone that like you want to get in the locker room and talk to this person because they're going to give you a good quote. Or They just have a really nice personality, you know, that meshes well with you. Someone you really look forward to seeing when you're out at the stadium doing your work.
1: I mean, I think I really like talking to Lorenzo Alexander um, because he is that veteran guy. He's a guy that's been on a lot of teams. He's seen good times. He's seen bad times, but he's someone that's always stayed the course And I think he has so much insight. Like, he's just, he has so much wisdom. Even just talking to him. He's just been, I feel like he's just the guy that, like, you would want to grab a beer with. He's just, like, that type of guy. Low-key family guy. But, like, he puts it all out on the field. He has so much heart and so much wisdom. So, that's, i he's one of my favorites. with Sean McCoy, just because he is a character. he He's funny. He speaks his mind. And even Josh Allen. Josh Allen's someone that's, like, you know, he, he takes on the role of being this quarterback and, you know, he knows there's all the expectations out there, but I think he's very earnest, Mm -hmm. which I think is an interesting thing considering how confident he also is as well.
2: You're going down to Miami for the game on Sunday. you looking forward to that? Get it warm a little bit for a couple days or at least day and a half.
1: You have no idea. (laughs) I had them book my flight as soon as I could possibly get out of Western New York. Not that I don't love Western New York, but Cause I do, but I'm talking palm trees, like eighty degrees. Well, well oh my God! Hold on, I on now, Jenna. It. Hold on, though. I'll tell you what. You're
2: lucky you're going when you are, because if that game was right now, you would not be happy. It is cold. It's cold. It's like in the forties. I'm in Tampa, so I'm on okay. the other side of the state, but I'm still in Florida. It's like in the forties right now. Don't worry. It's, it's gonna showed, be nice and it's toasty. It
1: snowed all day today. Yeah, it snowed all, right. all day.
2: Today. You win. <laughs> It'll be toasty when you get down here, but. Yeah, this is, today's not the good day to go, but the, by the weekend, it's going to be nice for you. Hope it stays that way. <laughs> All right, Jenna. So this is how we do things here. We're going to end with a mini lightning round. All I'm going to do is ask you a handful of random questions. No real deep thought required. Whatever the first thing you could think of as an answer, just spit that out. All right, you cool with that?
1: Okay, yes.
2: All right, your favorite
1: all-time athlete. Favorite all-time athlete? Oh, my God. Um, I would say Muhammad Ali, just because how of how good he is or was, excuse me, and just like the platform that he used and his message that he put out there.
2: Okay, good one. Favorite non-sports related activity to do? What's something that you love doing that's not sports?
1: Napping, eating. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, uh, sort of kidding. I love food. I love food. Um, not the best cook, if I'm being completely honest, but I'm trying. Um, I have two dogs too, so I love taking them out on walks and like exploring. Also love the ocean, lake, any beach. Like I love being outside.
2: Okay. Favorite city to visit.
1: Ooh. Um, city to visit. <sighs> oh my god, that's so hard. I love New York. I love New York City. I really do. Me too. It's 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 you you can't do better than that. It's just there's so much whatever you're looking for in New York
2: has it. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Who's the most entertaining fellow sports reporter you know?
1: Most entertaining fellow sports reporter I know. Mike Catalana, hands down. He's hilarious. He's snarky. Um, And sorry, my dogs are barking. Um, Let him bark. he, (laughs) He is snarky. He is, I don't know. He's just, he's awesome. He's really funny. He's got a great sense of humor and like his outlook on everything is great. And he's also seen it all because I make fun of him because he's really old.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Name me one movie that you can't do without. Like if you have one DVD in your house and you got to get rid of every one other one, which one would you keep?
1: Okay, this is not going to be a popular opinion, but I love the movie Just Friends. It's like a holiday movie. Yeah, that's a good I love that movie too. I've probably seen that a hundred times, but I just, <laughs> That's one of my. I love it too. and it's so funny. And um, yeah, my friends won't watch it with me anymore because I say every line right before it happens. So they decided that it's, I, I've, it's been banned. <laughs> I,
2: I, I absolutely love that movie. It's one of my favorites. It's so movies. good. It is. If you had never gotten involved, okay. In broadcast journalism in any capacity, or if you did, and let's just say it wasn't working out for you. What do you think you may have ended up doing with your life. Where would you be right now if you didn't have sports journalism?
1: Um my mom says I would be a lawyer because I love to argue. <laughs> um I honestly I don't I don't know. I like sports I would want to work with some type of sports team or something. I know that's like a really cheesy lame yeah, answer, but I just I love <laughs> really do love sports and just it's so much fun. I mean I guess I've always I was interested in, in you know pre law political science law stuff like that but I love I love history like I'm not a not a math person or something like uh, I hate numbers I'm terrible at them but uh, I would say something like sports related or or maybe actually a lawyer
2: okay second last question here we talked about Twitter earlier if Twitter were to send you a note and say Yo Jenna You're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter now. One person only. We're going to get rid of every follower that you have or every follow you have except for one. Who would be that one person or that one handle that you would follow?
1: I would follow. Oh, man. I would follow Matt Beauvais of Channel 7 in Buffalo. That's a great guy. He is awesome. His Twitter feed is always fire. He's good. He's just. He he has build stuff, saber stuff, interesting sports stuff, and he's he's a great guy, and he's he always has good stuff out there. So I would probably I would only wow. You can't tell Matt that I said this because I'm complimenting well, him. Hey, Matt's so been
2: has been on my podcast, and he's probably going to hear this. In fact, I'm going to tell him. I'm not going to okay, lie to you. I'm definitely right. going to tell him.
1: Well, I will. All right. Well, then I will. I will say Matt Bove. Okay. He's, he's got some good stuff.
2: <laughs> all right. Last question. The same one I always ask people. Three dinner guests, any era, dead or alive. Who you got?
1: All right. Also question. Is this like, we're all eating dinner together?
2: Yeah. You're having dinner together. Maybe a beer. Okay. Just chit chatting, shooting the shit, whatever it may be. You got three people at your table with you.
1: I, Muhammad Ali. Okay. Um, I would say like in his prime, Mm -hmm. I would say, um, you know, I should, I should have my answer ready, but I don't, uh, Muhammad Ali, Abraham Lincoln, okay. and David Chang. He's a, a restaurateur chef. Hmm. Really interesting mix. We probably have nothing to talk about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love it.
1: <laughs> There's no general topic, but I just, I, I I don't know. I just, you know, Muhammad Ali, like I mentioned before, he's one of my favorite athletes, just everything that he represents is incredible to me and I would love to be able to pick his mind. And then, you know, Abraham Lincoln is someone that so, you know, everyone knows Abraham Lincoln and what he stood for. And I think that's, especially during that time period, that's something that, I'm, you know, I I would love to be able to sit down and, you know, what went into decisions, you know, what, you know, what was the backlash you were getting? What was that like? Um, And then also just David Chang is really random now that I'm realizing this, but he's just, I, I, I love food, tv he's the chef of mama fuku he's you know known as this guy who says his says what he's feeling and he's been an innovator in the culinary world so i think that's my really random list of dinner guests (laughs) i love
2: it i love it i love it well done all right people you can follow jenna on twitter at jenna Cottrell. of course check out her work at 13wham.com this was fun I'm a big Jenna Control fan, though. You might be, oh, my, new, so you might be my new best friend. I, I seriously, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for this. I was this was, was say, good. I
1: feel bad. You let me talk for like way too long. Oh, you made my
2: job so <laughs> easy. I love it. That's why. I'm, that's God. I'm, God, I wish I could have someone on like you every single week. My job would be easy. No, oh,
1: you're so sweet. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Terrible tweet. Tell me I did not
2: just see that. I am no fan of Piers Morgan at all. Partially because I think he's a terrible talk show host. And also in part because he's probably one of the worst tweeters in the entire Twitterverse. Here's one of his latest. He says this. I'm not joking. This is like word for word. Staggering how many people on here kiss their kids on the lips. Weirdos. Seriously, that, that was his tweet. Instead of me responding, I'll tell you what, I'm going to leave that to Janine Talley. Janine, of course, is the wife of former Buffalo Bills linebacker, great Daryl Talley. Very funny, witty person on Twitter. Anyway, she went right at him. She says, "Piers, let me blow your mind. Before kissing on the lips, most children were conceived by people doing obscene things to each other. After that, many were brought into this world via a vagina. And after that, many got nourishment from a nipple attached to, wait for it, a breast. Thank you, Janine. Nothing more needs to be said. Piers Morgan and your terrible tweets. Go away, man. Go away. We are going true Beauty and the Beast fashion right here. I just had the Beauty, Jenna Catrell on, and now we got the Beast. My man Joe from New York City, Buffalo Winds on Twitter, of course. What's going on, dude? I I can't ask you about the weather because you're just going to get pissed off at me if I do that. What's
0: going on? I love the intro, so I'm the Beast. So I should just go, I should just do like a brawn, like, (laughs) brawn, like, For now, Uh, the weather sucks here, and that's that. (laughs) All right. Anyway, so
2: listen, we're only going to hit on a few things today, but I think they're all pretty significant topics. And let's start here. You've got a very love-hate relationship, it seems to me anyway, with Josh Allen. Maybe more hate, and I could be wrong, but Ah. you were a little fired up after Sunday's game because Josh, who I thought he played well, but he did have... Very pedestrian passing stats. I think it was like eight for 19, something like that. He did most of his damage with his legs. You suggested correctly, in fairness to you, very correctly, that he had a very Tyrod Taylor type of game statistically. And it seems like the Twitterverse out there was shredding you or anyone for that matter who agrees with that, that it was a kind of a 2017 or maybe even 2016 Tyrod Taylor type of Bills
0: win. Yeah, there's a lot of angles, you know, that I feel about ty- about the, the Tyrod Josh Allen. But let me just start with this. I thought overall he played an okay game. I I thought he took a step forward, but I don't think it's like, oh my God, like this is like this is it. Like we they may have it right finally. Like it was a nice game. Like I was fine with the first three drives. I was like, great, 125 yards, passing some great throws like the bomb that he threw the foster was freaking unreal like it was awesome it was beautiful but then yeah. like the rest of the yeah but then the rest of the game he threw for 34 yards so it's like okay let's 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 like calm it down a little bit like i'm not saying you got to come out there and be like oh he's a bust but if someone's not impressed which i kind of felt like hey i don't i wasn't that like blown away by it It wasn't like oh you know a 300 yard game like this is look what you're seeing right now like look, look what baker mayfield's doing look what you know Mahomes is doing as a second year guy. Like, you know, give me like that, that's not even that's like what like thirty percent of what those guys are doing. Like, it's fine. Like, I wasn't just like, and I thought everyone on Twitter just got so like not everyone. I shouldn't. I don't want to throw a generalized statement, but every people were very upset if you were like downplaying how he played. And I thought it was like, dude, like he had a hundred and he had one hundred and sixty yards passing. You know what I mean? It's just like I, you know, and he had a hundred yards rushing which was great. He got a lot of those carries on like what was it like 2 3 runs. He got a lot of them. So it was it was it was good. And then if you if you even brought up Tyrod. And I really didn't bring up Tyrod. Someone else in my that I follow, she brought him up and I saw her mentions. Her mentions got like crucified and it was completely like she made a, the person that did that made a good point like, "Hey, you know, what's the difference? Like if Tyrod put up these numbers last year, which he did, like that's kind of like the Tyrod like, yeah. oh hey, like that was you a know, tie rod everyone game yeah, everyone would be shitting their pants. Like, you know, oh, what the fuck? This sucks. Like, you know, I want a passing. I want back shoulder throws. I want all this. And like, the difference is, is like, you know, one is like the future that you're you're really hoping does well. And I, I don't think Tyrod was ever positioned by, by this franchise, by the fan base, as being like, okay, this guy's the franchise quarterback. He was always just like this complimentary guy. Whereas Josh Allen is like the Messiah. Like, oh, he's got to be good. He's got to be great. And I think people really want him to do great and I even think even some media people really want him to be good in a a sense because when you're writing about the quarterback and you're writing good things about him I think it gets traction from readers you know what I mean like I saw a few pieces this week where like maybe Josh Allen's the one and I was like wait a minute like come on like after that performance like he's the one I remember Sully fucking after the Minnesota game which was a, a nice game it was a modest game he wrote in this headline like oh josh allen the heir apparent to jim kelly i was like what i was like don't fucking mention jim kelly air in anything until like you know we got a season in there or at least he's got a couple 300 yard games you know what i mean so i thought it was an okay game but i thought there was just way too much like let's blow this guy like oh this is this is great and like huge step and then people were really upset if you like use his stats against him and then we're like oh you're a box score scout it's like really i'm like Last year, when people looked at Tyrod's stats and like complimented, like, "Oh, hey, he's he's got a really good quarterback rating." Oh, you're just, you know, they would they would yell, like, you know what I mean, like or anything like that. It was always like a, a reverse. So I thought he played over overall okay. I'm really looking forward to the next month because now the the competition is going to go down a little bit. I'm, and look, Jacksonville is a shitty three, what are they, three and seven or whatever the whole record is now. Three and eight. eight. You know, they're not a good team, but they had a good defense. Even going into that game, they had a good defense. Now the defenses are going to start, you know, plateauing a bit. And that's where I want to see him, how he does against these types of defenses.
2: I felt like it was a Tyrod Taylor game. One of a good, the good Tyrod Taylor from his last couple years with the Bills. And I guess if you consider that a compliment, an insult or somewhere in between, I guess it comes down to how you feel about Tyrod Taylor. But he did. Yeah, exactly. he did damage with his legs. He threw a, a, a beautiful, pretty ball. Deep Tyrod did that on occasion. And, and just, to me, the most impressive play of the game was the shot he took when he threw it to Foster. He knew he was going to get hit. He got hit by yeah. three people. Just an absolutely beautiful throw. Dude, let me tell you one more thing. Then I want to move on to a couple other things before we get out of here. A couple of weeks ago, I remember arguing with you about Houston, that game, that they should have won and they didn't. Okay, right now, Buffalo's four and seven. I, I told you, they win that game. They're five and six. And say, laugh all you want. You, you know the last five games on the schedule. Sure, New England's probably a loss, but they played Miami twice, the Jets at home, and Detroit at home. Those could be four wins right there. Add it up, man. If they're five and six right now, you add up four more wins. They're nine and seven again, just like last year. Or, or they won ten to six last year. Whatever. They could be nine and seven right now at the end of this year, winning 40's last five. If they won that Houston game, I told you that bothered me a couple weeks ago. And it bothers me now because they got a chump schedule the rest of the way,
0: I, minus that New England know, game. That Houston game doesn't bother me. They when Josh Allen got killed and like got hurt. Josh Allen had like fifty yards passing in that game. Still should have won the game it, though. I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think they should have won that game. I thought. I thought. I thought there were times when like I don't have the stats in front of me, but I, I think like Houston had more yards, and I I I, thought, I honestly thought that was kind of a pick them like at that point I would not I would not go into like they should have won that game anger like I, I don't put that in my like oh my god like you know Bryce Fisher or whatever the hell that guy's name was like fumbled like at the goal line at the KC game a few years ago or whatever like other games I don't that doesn't I don't know why that, that game just doesn't it doesn't annoy me a little bit because the prior before Peterman came in there and was horrible Josh Allen was not letting the storm on fire you know what I mean so it was like I don't know if they're gonna. I don't know if Josh Allen's gonna gonna lead the game, the the go ahead touchdown drive like Peterman did, you know, in that game. I really don't. I, I just that game just doesn't piss me off as much as as you. I mean, it was a close game, you know. But uh, but you're right, dude. Like, dude, they could. I they I could totally see this team. They could finish eight and eight. Like, sure. Detroit's not good. The Jets aren't good. I'm not Miami. I'm not confident in them. I, I think you know eight and eight. It's possible seven and nine even right now. You seven and nine, I,
2: I consider seven and nine likely at this point. I, even yeah. if they if they beat the Jets Detroit at home, which they absolutely should. Even if they split against Miami, even if they lose this yeah. Sunday on the road,
0: still that's that seven. No, well, yeah, I mean, I mean the New England game is the only game that's like well, yeah we'll just chalk it up to a loss. We shouldn't even watch it. But yeah, I mean
2: it's a loss season know. at the end of the day. But there's still some good things that can happen over these last five weeks. Winning, so I think, winning games is important. I don't care about a draft pick. We're not going for a quarterback right now. Get some wins. Let the kid get more wins. Let him know what it feels like. I mean, Jacksonville game was ugly, but it was a close win. Maybe a guy like Foster steps up or somebody like him again. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I don't care about too much about the wins, to be honest with you. I, I care about more about like Josh Allen's numbers. Like, that's what I care about. Like, you know, give me that game where it's like, hey, 270, 300 yards. I agree. give me that game. And then I I don't give a shit if they lose 45 to 31 in that game and and like the defense falls apart.
2: (laughs) Listen, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think Josh Allen playing well is the most important thing, win or lose. And then maybe a couple other young guys starting to step up and do some things. Maybe Levi Wallace has a good last month at corner and they have something there for the future. Who knows? Let's switch gears here, okay? Because we're spending a lot of time talking about the Bills. Bills ain't the hot team in Buffalo right now, man. That's all the Sabers. Darren Drager, NHL insider, he had a great tweet Tuesday night after Buffalo knocked off San Jose in overtime to win their 10th straight game. He said, and this was his tweet, we kept waiting for the wheels to come off in Vegas last year. Didn't happen. Why can't the Buffalo Sabres be that team this year? When you read that back and you hear it, it's hard not to agree with that. What's your thought? I mean, maybe this isn't just, look, they're not going to keep winning forever. I don't expect them to be the best team in the NHL when it's all said and done. But why can't this team be a team that contends for the playoffs, makes the playoffs, and maybe even does some damage? I mean, these are young guys who seem to be getting better with every game. Guys like Darlene and, and Casey Middlestead, and a lot of guys like that.
0: I agree. I agree with Drager. I think you know the difference between like Vegas and the Sabers. I think like with, I, I still don't know how the fuck Vegas did that, but like you know the Sabers have had a have had a foundation with, with like high picks like Risto. Reinhardt, Eichel, you know, those guys, sure. you know, so it's, a, they've had a, they've had a young talent, but like, they have just been playing great. I mean, I, I think, you know, we're, we're all like, you know, figure out like who gets credit, who gets credit, like who's been like the MVP. I think Botterill, like he's that guy, man. Like he had the, I can't, I cannot recall as a Sabres fan, a GM like had that has had like as good of an off season with like adding new players here than he has. Like Skinner has been awesome. Like he is just scoring. He's he's gonna get like 50 goals. It feels like he feels like he plays like he's got an edge. He plays like Briere a little bit. Like he's just always around the net. You know he's been great. Sheer he's been really good. The, the you know Car- Carter Hart has been awesome. Like these are guys he acquired for basically nothing. This isn't like you know when when like they and I don't have anything really against Ryan O'Reilly, but like it's not like he, you know. O'Reilly got, you know, traded for a lot, got paid like, you know, $7 million a year. These guys aren't making really anything this year. And they didn't even give them any assets. Like, what he has done with adding this talent, you know, to the Sabres this offseason is just tremendous. And, you know, it's been fun and it's entertaining, dude. It's not like these aren't like one-nothing boring-ass games. Oh, or, it's must-see, dude. It's must-see right must now. It's must-see. Yeah. And it's, and it's mu- not just must-see, like, just, but, like, The goals are beautiful. Like the goals against uh, the Sharks the other night, like they were all highlight goals. Like you got like just perfect passing. You got the blue line involved. Blue line's got like four. The blue line has like 14 goals this year so far, uh, I I saw. And like last year at this time, they had zero. You know, they're getting involved. It's balanced scoring all the way around. Jack Eichel's been really good. Like he's not lighting the lamp, but he is, I think one of the reasons why Skinner's doing as well as you sure. has been doing is he's pl- he's playing with Eichel. That's I, why. Yeah.
2: As, listen, as of right now, as we're taping his Eichel's the top 10 in scoring in the, in the league right now, I'm fine yeah. with them not putting the bucket in the net. If he's going to yeah, set up Skinner too. or whoever, set up. he's yeah, making he like, a difference. It's not like he's not playing well. He's just not scoring goals right now. Who cares? I think it comes down to more of a, can they maintain? And by that, I, listen, I don't mean winning every night. That's not happening, but can they maintain a reasonable, pace of playing the way they're playing right now because if they do there's no doubt in my mind that they're making the playoffs it sounds crazy right. and i can't believe i just said that
0: it's true though i'm so i'm excited i'm going to when i go back for christmas I'm, I'm my cousin got tickets to the anaheim game and they play like the 22nd of uh december and i'm stoked it's crazy man like the tickets like i remember oh, at the beginning shit, of the year dude i was I was looking them up in like at the beginning of the year and they like for tickets for like in December, it was like $5 for the cheapest ones. Now it's like, boom. Someone was telling me that like there's a Boston game coming around on Christmas prior to like them being hot. It was like 20 bucks for the cheapest tickets. They're now like 75 right I, now.
2: I have a minimum of three people, good friends of mine on Facebook that get season tickets and they're always selling them and yeah. they couldn't give them away over the last couple of years. And now, yeah, man, they're big hot ticket right now. Good because yeah. they're, they're fun to watch. This is not fun, and we typically stay away from this type of stuff. But it's bothered me, and I want to get your take on it. And I got to go here. I got to talk about this big story in the NFL this week. Washington claimed Ruben Foster off waivers, like pretty much just a day after the dude was released by San Francisco on Sunday morning after a domestic violence arrest at a hotel in Tampa just on Saturday night. And it wasn't Foster's first time in trouble, getting in trouble since he got into the league. I mean, it's a highly criticized move. And look, I I try not to compare any situation to Colin Kaepernick, but it's a pretty sad truth. And listen, I'm pretty confident you're going to agree with me here. Had Colin Kaepernick beat the shit out of a woman instead of taking a knee during a national anthem, he's probably playing in the NFL right now. Do you agree with that? That's the sentiment out there, and I feel yes. the same way.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, it's 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 gone on forever when it comes to like spousal abuse and everything along. It. Like you know, it's, it happens. It happens every like couple of years where someone is like, "How is this guy?" Like I remember Greg Hardy. You know, like the Cowboys were playing him, and he like had that shit when he threw a girl like out of his guns or something. It was like it was crazy. It, it, it shouldn't sure shock me. Like Washington, like the Redskins, they suck. Like, you know, Dan Snyder's always been kind of a fucking douche. So this isn't shocking that they would do this. Like, you know, you could have just waited to, to fucking pick up this guy. Like, you know, if you wanted to just wait, hey, let's wait till the, the court come in and maybe there's some bullshit. I don't know. Like, you know, he didn't do it. You know, whatever. Then you could, then you could go after him and sign him, you know, after he's been cleared. But what's the point of getting him now? On like, waivers. What was the point?
2: Yeah, it's just a, it's a terrible look. It, it looks like you're putting winning above the law. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, above, and
2: it's not, it's, above character it, and you just it, can't yeah, do that. It, not in today's NFL for sure.
0: And it's not only that, but it's also like these owners don't give a shit about like this crap, They but they care more about guys kneeling. Taking a anthem. knee. Yeah. Yeah. Taking a fucking knee and then being outraged about that. And I've always said this, like Dude, Joe, you know, I, these,
2: I've had this podcast for, for a long, for what, 74 episodes now. I think this is episode 74. I have wow. never said the words Colin Kaepernick on this podcast once. Kind of like I try to do everything I can to avoid Trump, just because there's no win or loss. You say it, you're going to alienate half the people. If you're for it, you're against it no matter what. You know what I mean? So I, I, yeah. I try to stay away from it. There's just no winning in it. But I just, I can't stand seeing something like that, knowing this dude took a knee and he's not playing football. And had he taken his hand and slapped a woman, he'd be playing football right now. It's it's a reality. It's
0: the truth. And it, and it drives me crazy. Yeah, it's a joke. And it's, it, I, I, it's, It just sucks.
2: All right, so I had no intention whatsoever on talking about wrestling, but I'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention in passing at least how awful Raw was this past Monday. It was one of the worst shows I think I've ever seen, ever, in WWE. I mean, it was like, for me, it was worse than when Vince Russo was leading the charge at WCW after the wheels had already fallen off there and, and that, you know, WCW was going down. It was that. Bad was it that bad for you too? Yeah, it was
0: horrible. It's it, it, it has been so bad since Survivor Series. I mean, last week's Raw was bad too, and this week it, it was just all it was all Baron Corbin. I, you know, I, he was on. Someone timed it out on the internet, like he was on Raw for an hour, and I'm like, what? He is he is not special or interesting to me. He cannot work. His promos are, like, mundane and yes. boring, and it's just, like, I don't want want to see this guy on my TV. And then on top of that, you also have, like, crass humor, like, toilet humor. And look, I, I, I have toilet humor a little bit, but, like, Vince McMahon loves doing this whole toilet humor. And he – he it's being a dead horse. Like, I got Drake, Drake Maverick urinating on a freaking robe, which, which never even established the fact, like, why is this robe, like – like, you know, very special to Bobby Roode. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, oh, like, Bobby Roode, right. his gimmick is like, he's, expen- he's a baller and he spends money or this robe is given to him by Ric Flair. Or, or, you know, it's like, okay, great. Who cares? The Dean and Ambrose then, stuff too. Yeah, the Dean Ambrose stuff, bro. That's That to me, you know, we talked about this weeks ago, how, you know, th- that th- they had the heel turn and it was like the best, one of the best heel turns ever. And then you have them basically, doing like a comedy sketch kind of where he's getting his he's getting a needle in his ass to get rid of rabies or whatever the case may be and that's i mean what so like vince can laugh and at seeing this guy's pelvis you know it's just it's just stupid humor they don't have a plan even last week's smackdown i don't know if you watched that it was horrible too i'm trying to remember what what outraged me last week oh it was like the comedy match between miz and and vince and shane together and like i don't even get the shane stuff like he won that stupid Euro cup thing or whatever mm-hmm. that was. And then all of a sudden, okay, well he, he's, you know, he, he's supposed to turn heel and he hasn't even turned heel at all. There's no tendency of that right now. It's just been, it's just been lame. It's just, I, I don't know what their deal is. I think maybe because Strowman and Roman are hurt and they, they don't want to, uh, you know, they, they don't, they have too they don't want to like empty the chamber with good ideas or whatever the case may be for those guys. But all they're doing is just building heat, with like these these with like this faction like the Corbin faction where they're just kicking everyone's ass and they just they just killed so many guys like there's too many to name like like Finn Balor should have been awesome and they've just totally jobbed this guy out you know you know just countless guys it's just terrible.
2: Well, for me lately, I feel like one of the best things about wrestling is having the ability to be unpredictable. But I also think that there's a big difference between being unpredictable. And being confusing and even stupid, and lately, frankly, especially on the raw side, I think WWE's just been really stupid.
0: Yeah, it's just it's yeah, it's just there's no more is lost by indecision than by wrong decision, and they're just you can just tell they're completely indecisive of what they're doing, what they're what they're planning. Yeah, I agree. Let's leave that there.
2: All right, so it's that time, your last take every week. We like to call it the finisher. What do you got? What's your finisher for this week?
0: This is just more of a request for everyone, and I'm changing my finisher because I had one before, and I just I'm changing it now. Everyone, after you listen to this beautiful podcast and subscribe to it, go on Netflix and watch Narcos. Narcos is awesome. I just finished the fourth season, and top to bottom, it is one of the best shows like on TV right now or on the internet, whatever you want to say. It's four seasons. If you haven't started yet, each year there's kind of like different characters for the most part. Is or, it okay? Like, Yes, like, and it's awesome. It's it's incredible. If you like Goodfellas and you like real serious, like, because it's based off like the, the drug cartel in South America or, or Mexico, it's just great. I mean, you have to read a lot because it's, it's, uh, it, it, some of it is in Spanish and you have to read subtitles, but the acting is great. The violence is awesome. And it's just kind of, it's historical in a way because they, they, they intercut like different, uh, real footage from like you know Pablo Escobar from like the are not from the 80s and then this season they did the Mexican cartel so you had like the uh you had El Chapo like when he was younger kind of on there it's great that is my finisher you need to go watch Narcos it's a great show four seasons watch it and tell him I sent you
2: All right. That's a wrap for this episode. That was a lot of fun. Had a lot of fun today. Big thank you to Jenna Cottrell. I'll tell you what, that's a top fiber for me. I've interviewed many sports media folk on this podcast. And to this point, she's easily in the top five among the favorite ones I've done. Love Jenna Cottrell. Great talent. Great person. She's overcome so much. Great attitude. It's a fun person to talk to. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Jenna. Also, thanks as well to my buddy Joe. Buffalo wins on Twitter. Doing another installment of The Running With Joe. Always love doing that. Guys, if you haven't done so already, please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever you want to call it. Subscribe to this podcast. It's quick, it's easy, it's free. Just find us on your app. Search for Analytics Podcast. Click the subscribe button. You literally don't have to do another thing because new episodes will automatically get sent right to your phone. Play them and keep them. Play them and delete them afterwards. Do whatever you want to do. If you want to leave a five-star rating and a nice little review, that's helpful as well. And if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can also subscribe on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pam Tweets. Thanks again so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. Have a nice, safe weekend, and I'll talk to you guys again on Tuesday. We're done here.